Getting a top 100 album or a top 10 album or a number one album is more than just a number. It's a selling point for bands and labels. You know, the title, top 10 charting artists, that stays with them forever. The chart position means higher performance fees, huge PR opportunities. It's a badge of honor that can never be taken away. This story starts with Bon Jovi, you know, one of the biggest rock bands of all time. They were at their peak in the 80s. His Slippery When Wet was an iconic album. Always, what a great song. You know, that was on the greatest hits album, Crossroad. It went to number one. You know, how crazy is that? After just 10 years of being a band, they had a greatest hits album. And they kept going, you know, It's My Life will be one of those songs that is sung by every person in a bar for decades to come. It'll stand the test of time, no doubt about that. That was off the number one album, Crush. 16 years after their debut. Bon Jovi was still making mega hits well after that. Have a Nice Day in 2005. Monster single, monster album. Again, number one in dozens of countries. The band had stayed true to their rock and roll roots. And then the band began to, you know, slow down a little. I don't mean from touring or anything like that. They were world beaters by this stage. I mean their sound changed. John Bon Jovi couldn't really hit the notes in Living on a Prayer anymore. So the band's 2015 album, Burning Bridges, was a, you know, a bit more soft rock, a bit more of a country album. But here's where this story gets interesting. With their release of their 2016 album, This House Is Not For Sale. Again, it was a country soft rock record and, you know, it debuted at number one. The diehard fans still bought it up. But then it dropped right out of the charts, just a few weeks later. I mean, completely out of the charts. A year later, strangely out of nowhere, it shot back up. From outside the top 200, all the way to number one. All within a single week. It's crazy, right? Want to know how it happened? Well, in the last decade or so, a little hidden sleight of hand magic trick has been utilized by major labels and even some DIY artists. It's called the Album Bundle. This is how you get a number one album. Welcome to the Sound Age. The sound age. So what is an album bundle? I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory really, isn't it? It's where you bundle an album up in a package deal. It's been happening for decades. Local bands do it all the time. Buy a t-shirt and a CD as a bundle for a slightly discounted price. That sounds harmless and those sorts of bundles are harmless. But there's a more controversial side to the album bundle. It became radicalised by labels right around the time that streaming took over the industry. Physical CDs and downloads became so irrelevant to a label's financial success that they found a new use for them. Bundle the album with anything. Give it away for free basically, but in a way that still counts towards a sale in the official charts. Bon Jovi returned to number one on the charts a year and a half after the album's release, not because of some TV appearance or, you know, playing at the Super Bowl, you know, or something like, you know, a death in the band. They returned to number one because they released a world tour and every ticket for every stadium on that tour was essentially an album bundle. Buy a ticket, it comes with an album. Buy 20 tickets, get 20 albums. 
every sold-out 20,000 capacity stadium was 20,000 album sales. On paper, at least, Bon Jovi sold millions of records in a single week, over a year after the album dropped out of the charts. No matter how you look at it, it seems unfair. But just wait, because this story is about to take some ridiculous turns. Madonna was a megastar in the 80s and 90s. Like a prayer, what a classic. You know, an influence on pop music for decades to come. 15 million albums sold worldwide. By 2003, Madonna was still a world-famous name, but it was publicity stunts like making out with Britney Spears at an award show that kept her in the mainstream. Ask a casual fan now to name some Madonna songs, and they will no doubt rattle off the 80s and 90s hits, nothing from the last 20 years. But despite all of that, she was still selling records. Her 2012 album reached number one, Rebel Hearts in 2015 just missed out on a number one, scored number two, Madam X in 2019 was back at the top of the charts. All of these albums were charting successes because of the same album bundle trick that Bon Jovi used. Packaging pre-sale albums along with the announcement of a national or world tour. Every $120 ticket was really a $110 ticket and a $10 album. But it definitely wasn't advertised like that. So why are these aging musicians having to resort to controversial methods to remain in the charts? They can still fill stadiums. Surely they have enough fans and with the right marketing they can get to number one, you know, in a more honest manner. Well, no, because that's not how the charts work anymore. Have you ever heard of the album equivalent unit? It's not a physical sale. That's how streaming is counted in the album charts. Essentially, the album equivalent unit is the number of streams it takes to count as one album sale in the official charts. Now, it's complicated to give it an exact number. Streams are weighted differently from different countries and even different platforms. But as a rule of thumb, 1,500 streams counts as one album sale in the charts. This is why Bon Jovi and Madonna have resorted to giving away their album with the ticket sales just to get that chart position. Because they have an older fan base, these fan bases will buy tickets and concerts, but they're not going to mass stream the new Bon Jovi record. Quick maths, Bon Jovi's song Living on a Prayer has close to a billion streams. Now take Bon Jovi's last two albums, combine the total streams of every single song on those two albums, and combined they aren't even close to Living on a Prayer. About 10% actually. Younger audiences stream music, and because of this, newer artists receive a major advantage. So older artists don't stand a chance at matching it alongside a newer artist like, uh, I don't know, Nicki Minaj. That was Nicki Minaj's single Fifi. But just when you thought bundling was an older generation musician thing to keep them relevant, no, it's everywhere. Nicki Minaj's album Queen was released on August 10th, 2018. It was also available as a bundle deal. But instead of being bundled alongside a concert ticket worth 80 or $100, it was bundled together with a poster. And, get this, a three month premium subscription to the streaming platform Tidal. And all of that was five bucks. Some called it genius, some called it a scam. 
Truth is, it was both. Tidal gained a swarm of new customers and Nicki Minaj's album gained hundreds of thousands of extra first week sales, many of which had nothing to do with buying an album. With all of these sleights of hand, she was destined for a number one album. Or was she? Because that week, she wasn't the only one playing the game to get that number one. Insert rapper Travis Scott. Made this here with all the ice on in the booth. At the gate outside, when they pull up, they give me loose. Yeah, jump out, boys. That's Nike boys hopping our coats. This shit way too big. When we pull up, give me the loot. That was music apparently from Travis Scott's album Astro World. It was released on the same date as Nicki Minaj's album Queen, and Travis Scott also had a bundle deal going. With every merch sale from his website, whether it was a t-shirt or a keyring, it was also bundled with a download of the new album. But that alone wasn't enough to beat the title streaming offer that Nicki Minaj had. So Travis Scott started selling discounted VIP tickets to a future as of yet unannounced tour. These VIP tickets were also album bundles, of course. Just picture that, selling tickets to a gig that doesn't yet exist. All of a sudden, two heavyweight hip hop and rap stars are selling streaming subscriptions, posters, key rings, and tickets to a phantom unannounced tour, and all of it is counted to the first week of the album charts? It's chaos, isn't it? But if you thought I was, you know, wrapping up with the, the crazy ideas, I'm just getting started. Because in May 2019, rapper Tyler the Creator is about to drop his album Eagle. Okay, sure. Anyway, his management and label have been album bundling everything. All the merch, all the concert tickets, the full bundle experience. It's a full team effort to maximize the fan base to score a number one album. It's the week of the album release and early predictions? Well, they're too close to call. It's neck and neck with producer and rapper DJ Khaled. It becomes clear that both DJ Khaled and Tyler the Creator have been on an album bundling war to score this number one, and they're racing towards the finish line with an eerily identical amount of sales. These two took it further than any other musicians before them. Tyler the Creator released an entire new merch line 24 hours before the charts closed, bundling it up with the album to generate thousands of extra sales. And in the end, Tyler the Creator won, but only after some more controversy because DJ Khaled actually had more sales. Do you want to know how DJ Khaled worked his way to the top of the charts? Energy drinks. <laughs> yeah, DJ Khaled's album Father of Assad was bundled up with awake energy drinks. Buy some caffeine, get an album. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. Billboard charts had no choice but to disqualify the energy drink bundles from the charts. DJ Khaled sued, but it was a mute point. The fact was, selling energy drinks or title streaming subscriptions or little merch items like keyrings had no place being counted in the album charts. Enough was enough. The New York Times reported that of the 39 number one albums in 2018, 
Just under half of them were number one thanks to album bundles. Countless more in the top 100 would have made less successful but equally ridiculous bundles. By the end of 2019, Billboard had tightened the rules on album bundles. For starters, album bundles could only be sold directly from the artists or labels web stores. No more third-party collaborations with streaming services or energy drinks. Secondly, the bundle had to be also available unbundled. Meaning a $120 concert ticket with an album bundle must also be available as a $110 concert ticket without the album. And this was the end of the story, you know, the resolution to an industry-wide problem, the happy ending for all music kind, except it only lasted for about six months. Because this story had one final twist. It involves a Formula E racing team owner turned music media entrepreneur. Insert Jay Penske. He owns Vanity Magazine, IndieWire, Fairchild, Fashion News, and you know a whole bunch of other media publications. In 2017, he bought a large share of Rolling Stone magazine. In 2018, he invested heavily in data analysis company Alpha Data. And then in 2019, he bought the rest of Rolling Stone magazine. And almost immediately, he announced the creation of the Rolling Stone official album charts. Using the most up-to-date data analysis company in the world, Alpha Data, to tally the weekly results. The idea was to be a direct competitor to the Billboard charts. Nielsen was the data analysis company that Billboard used, and they are well behind the times when it comes to new technology. Labels had to force Nielsen to even include streaming into the charts. The Rolling Stone charts were promising to be more in line with today's changing media world. So why is this important? Because Rolling Stone charts had a far more lenient view on album bundles. In fact, their rules were so vague that it would allow most of the old techniques to creep back in. If Rolling Stone's lenient counting of bundles made its way back to the official charts, you know, the charts that actually matter, then it would be back to the insanity of the previous decade. And then guess what happened? In September 2020, Jay Penske bought Media Rights Capital, the company that owns Billboard and the official Billboard charts. It wasn't a merger, but it really was. So now, while Billboard is still considered the official charts, the bundling rules that came into effect not even a year earlier were merged with the vague and open for exploitation Rolling Stone method of counting sales. Once again, labels could go to the extreme lengths to turn 50,000 fans into 300,000 album sales. The charts are not a perfect reflection of the biggest artists in the world. They give you an idea, but they are open to so much manipulation. A label with a big budget can essentially buy the top position by selling a keychain, by selling a concert ticket, a title subscription, or an energy drink. Labels can turn every single fan a band has and turn that into four or five or more official sales. And yet, the chart positions are held with so much prestige. I opened this piece with what it meant to be a number one artist. And it should be a badge of honour. For musicians, that is the equivalent of winning gold at the Olympics. So it's only fair that the charts hold to the same standard of sportsmanship as an Olympic sport. Success in art shouldn't be about who has the most devious marketing ploys. 
Unfortunately, with this podcast, I don't have an answer or an idea on how to fix this. We're stuck in a world where we celebrate purchased success. Subconsciously, we play the game with major labels because we feel like we're getting a good deal. And it means history is going to be riddled with inaccuracies of artists who hold titles based on perceived fame. Thanks for listening to The Sound Age.